like the baseline expectation for all my relationships is friendship and just connection between people and anything more than that is something that emerges and I think if that process isn't mutually consensual or you know that not everyone who's involved is excited about it then we just kind of go back to the baseline I think that's kind of the default so welcome to normalizing non-monogamy the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Well, welcome to episode 219. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a fun interview with Francisca. She does not like labels, but she talks about being queer and polyamorous, bisexual. We have a super fun conversation. Yeah, it's it's an it's an awesome conversation talking about getting started uh, while traveling abroad and yeah, it's just, again, thank you to her for coming on and sharing her story. Uh, a couple of quick notes about this episode. So uh, you might notice and probably wouldn't unless I point it out, but I'm going to anyways <laughs> because because that's what I do. Uh, there are some sort of continuity issues. You might hear some like abrupt transitions. So what happened is parts of the conversation, uh, in retrospect, uh, Francisco was not super comfortable with them being out there. So we were able to take those pieces out, but that means that some of the transitions between topics weren't as sort of flowy and fluid as they normally are. However, it's still an amazing conversation and we're really grateful, uh, to be getting it out there. Additionally, uh, she talks about working at Bloom, uh, towards the end of the interview and about what drew her to that. If you're not familiar with what Bloom is, uh, I would recommend going back and listening to episode 212. We interview Luna, who is the founder of Bloom, which is an online uh, sex positive community and app. And we've been checking it out for a while and we love it. It's awesome. A bunch of our virtual events are on there. And so, yeah, we're super stoked to get this information out there to everybody and to help promote it. So thank you to both Luna and Francisca, for doing that work and for building an amazing company. Yes, it's awesome. Before we jump into the interview, we do have a couple of announcements. First up, a big thank you to our entire Patreon community. We're so thankful for each and every one of you. The community is just incredible. Uh, if you're looking for more like-minded people, go check out our Patreon group. We have monthly Q&As, we have an ongoing Mimi chat, and we have men's and women's groups as well. It's easy to find. Just go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the Patreon button. Yeah, I was just going to say, jump in here a little bit about that community. We we opened up some new avenues earlier in this in, in the MeWe chat for all the patrons, patrons this last week. And I just want to say to any of you who are in there, I'm so blown away. I was nervous about this. We and both were. Yeah, so the, basically what we did is we opened up a, an avenue for people to share more explicit photos. We hadn't done that for the last two years. It had been basically a chat channel to like talk about just your day and relationships and what you're needing help with. And we kind of gave this new avenue. We were both nervous about it because we were afraid it could get out of control. And it has been one of the most like powerful things I've seen come out of the show in a while, which is just people posting pictures that are vulnerable and then supporting each other and talking about the vulnerabilities and their body image issues and supporting each other. And it it's been just amazing. So I'm blown away by all of you. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for 
being there for one another and making this community what it is. Yes. And just, I'm absolutely blown away too. As Finn said, we were nervous about opening up those chats and it's just, it's been incredible to witness all of you being so vulnerable and open. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, we do have some upcoming events as well. so That are not part of the Patreon. That are not part of the Patreon. First off, though, we had a few days ago, last week, we had a virtual play party. Now, that was a different type of play. It was not... Actual your, play. Just yes, fun and just laughter. Fun, fun, laughter games. Um, and we worked with, partnered with a strategic play consultant, Gary Ware, with who has a company called Breakthrough Play. And he came on and play, like played games with us for two hours. It was amazing. We had so much fun. Thank yeah. you to everyone who joined. And we will be doing some more of those in the future. So be on the lookout. Um, we'll be announcing those dates soon. Yes. And then uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks on the 26th of January, and then again, uh, two, uh, two more times in February, we have our normal virtual meet and greet. So uh, check the website under the community events and then virtual events tab uh, for all of the dates on the upcoming virtual meet and greets. Those are, again, are another awesome way to like meet people, connect, find people all over the world, and they've been growing, so they get bigger and bigger each month. And so we're super excited about that, and we hope you check those out and join us. And they're open to everyone. Just You need to be open-minded and respectful. And awesome. And awesome. Uh, we also have some in-person events coming up. The next is a New Orleans meet and greet on February 7th. We are monitoring the COVID situation and we'll make a call if we need to cancel that event. But right now it is still on. However, we did have a, a pool party that was scheduled for the 12th. We are postponing that till September or October. So unfortunately, we're really bummed about having to do that. But with the COVID situation, we just decided it was smarter to postpone. So again, those dates will be announced as soon as we can. Uh, so hopefully more of you can attend. Yeah. And we're working on getting some other outdoor COVID-friendly-ish uh, events on the calendar when we're going to be in California in March and April. Uh, so stay tuned for those. Uh, if you want to find out more and be the first to know about when they come up, uh, join our mailing list, which you can do on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And we do have one more in-person event that we wanted to mention. On the 26th of March in San Francisco, we're doing a pole dance class with Amy, who was on episode 188. We're super pumped about that. If you're thinking about doing that, highly, highly recommend signing up. There's about half of the spots left, so there's only like 13, 14 spots left. So if you want it, get in on it before it's sold out. Yes. And one last thing before we jump into the interview, uh, if you want to check out our first ever video interview, Finn and I were part and of the- And our first time we ever talked about polyamory. Yes. Sorry to cut you off. Finn and I were part of the uh, Alternative Relationship Summit put on by Sarah. She was on episode 217, so just a couple weeks ago. This was a free summit that happened last week. However, you can go and um, purchase the uh, All Access Pass now to see all of the videos. She did an amazing job with all of these interviews. We highly recommend going to check it out. Um, there's incredible speakers, including us. So links to go find her, the summit are in the show notes or in your podcast player. Yes, go check it out. Yeah, and uh, we're going to jump into the interview, but head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com to find links to everything we talked about, including show notes for this episode pictures of our guests and all of the resources we talk about, as well as how to sign up for all of the different events we've talked about. So with that, thank you for listening. We will see you on the other side. Yes, let's go. Well, welcome to the show, Francisca. We're excited that you're here and we're excited to dive into your story a little bit. So welcome. 
Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I love your podcast. So I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, well, we're excited to talk as well. We've been going back and forth for quite a while to make it happen. So all of this uh, built up um, excitement. So thank you for being here. Yes, yes, let's do it. <laughs> do you mind just to get us going, introducing yourself and yeah, just tell us a little bit about who who is Francisca? Yeah, definitely. So um, cool. Like you said, the, the name I'm going by today is Francisca. I'm 23. I'm currently based in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm very, very lucky to be surrounded by lots of non-monogamous people over here. Um, I'd say I've been dating explicitly in the poly world for the last three or four years, unofficially, maybe for a bit longer. Um, I will say I don't love identity labels, and we can go into that later, but just as a shorthand, uh, identify as queer, bisexual, genderqueer, um, and also a, a cis woman. Um, and I'm also a kinky switch, in case anyone's into that. Um, and I also currently work for Bloom Community, which is a sex-positive social and dating app where you can meet people at events. So for people who know me in that context, I go by Erica there. Yeah. Well, thank you for that and for the work you do. We we actually talked to Luna a few weeks ago, um, and so yeah. fantastic conversation. We're just, we're excited about uh, what you what you're building. So, um, awesome. Yeah, to get, me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. More exposure, the better. So, right? Yeah. yeah. So, thank you again for being here. Um, so, we're curious, you know, to how did you how did you get started in your journey of non- exploring non monogamy? Yeah, definitely. So for me, it all started actually in Berlin, which I think is one of the greatest cities in the world. Um, I spent about six months there in 2018. Uh, It was a very liberatory time for me. It's where I had what I call my sexual revolution. Um, I discovered the kink world at a club there called Kit Kat, which everyone should go to if you have it. Um, Also made some of my first poly friends. Um, and just kind of was able to come out as, as queer as well around that time. So I would say I, I had been questioning the structures of monogamy for a while before that. Um, I had a partner in high school where largely the relationship did not end well because I did not have the language to express the discomfort I had with the kind of escalator situation and the expectation of exclusivity as a signal for like, deep love or something like like kind of just tying those things together. And so while I was in Germany, I was listening to uh, the Dildorks a lot, um, listened to an episode that explained polyamory uh, to me. And I was like, wow, this makes so much sense. Um, So after that, I just started dating non-monogamously for a while. Um, I'd say it started out more casually um, and less explicitly, but then um, I met my first sort of poly partner with a capital R relationship um, in the kink scene back in San Francisco. And that's where I started learning more about direct communication, navigating boundaries, uh, jealousy, and all those hot poly topics and all that. And then kind of experience that in a more emotionally intimate way as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And then you kind of said like when you came back, you sort of jumped into that first big R relationship and like, Mm -hmm. what did the, what did the journey look like, you know, in that sort of return? Because that's a big, big too to come back from that like international experience of like that awakening, and now you're back home and you're it's you're kind of dropped back into it. Yeah, I that's true. I think when I came back, there was definitely like a period of maybe half a year where I was 
floating the idea of non-monogamy to people that I was dating, but it was more in still in like a mainstream dating context. And I think a lot of the time when people are dating in their, in their early twenties, it sort of, there's like the, that stage before you define the relationship where exclusivity is not really expected. So I had a lot more comfort kind of navigating that area as none of the relationships I was kind of in even ever got to that stage. So I didn't really have to deal with it, if that makes sense. And then I think with the capital R situation, which was maybe, I'd say like nine to 12 months after the whole Berlin discovery. So there was a, there was a period of um, navigation before that. Uh, I met that partner in a, you know, as I said, in a kink context. So very much with the assumption of polyamory as kind of the default in the kink space so that was a lot easier to um, integrate I think with the emotional development of that relationship as well yeah you weren't trying to uh, like you didn't end up dating someone that was assumed monogamy and go go from there you were already starting with assumed polyamory right exactly so that was a, a difference for sure yeah yeah, and I was curious, you, you made a comment that like when you're in those sort of early days of a relationship, that it's the the expectation of monogamy isn't necessarily there or exclusivity isn't necessarily mm-hmm. there. And I'm just kind of curious because like we, I mean, I never did a ton of dating in mm-hmm. like, I don't know, the, the monogamy world. And yeah. and even when we did, like it was it was over a decade ago. And so I'm curious, like, and we actually just just did an interview with somebody a few minutes ago. And one of the things they were talking about was like the transparency and the honesty about right. in those new relationships, like talking about like, yes, maybe the exclusivity is not expected, but it's also not really talked about. It's sort of like everyone just sort of is like, well, you're probably sleeping around. I'm probably sleeping around, but we're not really right. going to talk about right. it. Like, how does that how is that like? for you like what is that actually like now because we have not done that and I'm just curious like do you see that changing yeah 100% so I don't yeah I think early earlier on I was a little bit more avoidant about it now I'm like very front and center with it and part of that is also because I fell in love during the pandemic and I'm now in a very deep kind of relationship locally my partner from that I mentioned as my first capital R relationship ended up having to move back to a different country during COVID. So um, that, you know, we've de-escalated our relationship and, but we're still very much in touch and, you know, plan on visiting each other and, you know, still catch up and, and all that never like quote broke up. But um, I, I now consider myself more kind of seasoned in the poly world. So when I meet new people, I am very upfront about it. And I think that that's maybe easier to navigate when you do have existing partners um, to, bring up um as kind of like you know an introduction sort of situation as in like you know if you're not okay with me having a partner then we we should not be dating um but even like navigating it more on a solo level i think what i would do is kind of go on rants about polyamory and my take on relationships on the first or second date um so that people kind of have that in their mind and even if we're not explicitly talking about exclusivity because we're not like there yet they know you know going into it that um to me like exclusivity and commitment are not the same thing and um that they kind of like have those frameworks in mind another caveat that i 
pretty much only date in the scene nowadays. So these conversations are a lot more organic. <laughs> and in, in the scene, you're referring to the kink scene? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and you live in the Bay Area, which is sort of an unfair um, <laughs> microcosm true. of the country <laughs> as well. Of in that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I can see how maybe somebody living in like, Kentucky, rural Kentucky might be like, no, no, it's not that open here. So I can, I can see it. <laughs> or pretty much anywhere else sure. in the country. <laughs> Most <Fair> places. <laughs> that is very fair. Um, I'm very lucky with that. I will say I did grow up internationally as well. Um, and so I came from different culture altogether. I grew up partially in Beijing where the dating culture is very different. I was in an international bubble over there. And, but I do think like the international school type of friendship honestly prepared me a lot for polyamory because a lot of the time when you know you move away a lot and your friends move a lot you kind of have these natural waxes and wanes in your relationship um that you know then when I discovered more like non-monogamous frameworks was just very natural to apply to wider spectrums of connection beyond just like platonic middle school friendship if that makes sense Mm -hmm. well and it came up like you 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 made a comment that maybe gets overlooked which is when you and your big r first big r partner he they moved away and you de-escalated the relationship you didn't break up you just you you found what's the new dynamic that works and i think it sounds like that was something that maybe came from international school of like oh this person's Mm -hmm. moving away like you don't have to be like well now you're not my friend anymore like you have to like reframe what it is to be a friend and what it is to be in any relationship and are you able to talk a little more about like transitioning relationships or de-escalating them and like how yeah. that has looked for you over the last couple of years? Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I would say for that relationship, um, we kind of pinpointed that one of the biggest sort of qualms that we both had about like quote long distance relationships, all caps, um, is the expectations piece and that, you know, it was like the the cadence of how often you would talk to someone and how much you would be like missing them. And also like expectations for the future. Like, are we trying to reunite at some point? Are we moving our lives in some sort of direction in conjunction with each other? And I think we had previously discussed that we would, we would basically end things uh, when my partner moved back to his home country, which was always the plan for him and then when he was about to leave we were thinking like actually this is not what we want and what we want is to just continue engaging however we feel is natural and then we can call it whatever we want um, after that so basically what happened is we just had a conversation about expectations and how um, we're not centerpieces in each other's lives and we're just going to kind of flow with that and it's worked out really well so far was there a point at which like imbalance starts to happen where maybe one or the other of you is like, you're, I'm feeling like you're way more important to me than I'm feeling to you. And like, where you're like, well, I'm missing you every day and wanting to talk every day. And maybe they're like, well, I'm good with like once a week and like that Mm -hmm. kind of dynamic coming up. Yeah. So I think luckily that didn't happen for us. One thing that did happen though, I think was more the speed of opening up in our respective areas. Um, and so that's just something that we had to work through initially, um, as like one person was able to do more um, initially just because of the way COVID is. I honestly think COVID has 
been the backdrop of a lot of relationship negotiations in the last couple of years. Oh, uh, totally. Time for poly people, I will say, or anyone, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, it makes a uh, non-monogamous relationships a lot harder in a lot of ways. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, in that imbalance, right. And maybe that was really the overarching question is imbalance, mm-hmm. right? Like right. navigating that imbalance is a challenge and whether it's the speed of opening up or one person feeling more intensely than the other, like those are, those are very real things. And then when you take and you add some number of time zones and a few thousand miles on top of it, it can, yeah. it can really make that a challenge. That's true. Yeah. But I think if the baseline expectation is kind of just like, non-romantic if that makes sense like the baseline expectation for all my relationships is friendship and Mm -hmm. just connection between people and anything more than that is something that emerges and I think if that process isn't mutually consensual or you know that not everyone who's involved is excited about it then we just kind of go back to the baseline (laughs) I think that's kind of the default so I think that's kind of how imbalance um, plays into that as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Is there more, like, before we jump back to, like, the sort of the trajectory to where you are today? Like, maybe the next thing would be, like, where are you today? Yeah. And what did it look like sort of getting getting here the last couple of years? Yeah, Yeah, I think um, right now I'm in, um, like I said, a very kind of deep relationship locally with a different partner. And I think that's also helped me grow a lot because we have a relationship that's more like normal passing, whereas uh, my partner who's out of the country and I, we've always sort of been um, very old and like in the kink scene and all of that. And that's how we met. And that's like who our friends were. Um, But right now I think, you know, my partner in San Francisco and I, we are very into each other. We have lots of overlapping friends and social lives. And we're, you know, I've introduced him to my family. We're emotionally intertwined in a lot of ways that bring up from an external perspective, like how is this actually polyamorous, if that makes sense. And then uh, my response to that is that, you know, what you see on the surface is not all there is. Right. And, you know, I am still in touch with my partner from, who lives in the other country. And I also have a number of what I call like ambiguous friends where, you know, they're very close friends that um, our relationship may sometimes be sexual and sometimes be romantic. And all that's kind of within the scope of our relationship. And that's, you know, we just have this understanding that we'll always love each other regardless of these ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's important, right? The, the, like your relationship for the most part looks monogamous, but you could say that, right? Like, well, you're, if you're in a relationship with a uh, cis hetero guy or something to that effect, like you also look heterosexual, like you're in a fairly heteronormative relationship on the surface, but it, that doesn't detract from like your, your queerness or your queer identity. Right. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, my partner and I are both pretty straight passing um, and cis passing. So that definitely plays into it. But I do think that while the relationship may look monogamous or even like within poly, like hierarchical, I would not um, classify it that way because it's been a very natural process for us. Uh, We haven't had explicit kind of rules about shifting dynamics, but rather kind of dealt with things as they came up. 
And there aren't any sort of overarching assumptions about where exactly it's going to go and what form it's going to take in the future, but rather just being grounded in the love that we have for each other and like knowing that we'll be connected in some way and that that particular way will be figured out as time goes and as we both grow and change. Right. And, but at the, in the moment, do you talk about like, here's the framework and here's sort of the ground, the ground rules of like what we, what we want this to look like right now, not necessarily like, well, we're aiming for this in two or three years, but like, Hey, right now, like I, I have these wants and needs and maybe these things, maybe it's around health and safety, right? I know an easy one to go to is like Mm -hmm. condoms. Like we've decided we're going to, always use condoms with other people, but maybe not us. And I have no idea if that's your thing. I'm just, it's an easy black and white example to throw out there. Yeah. I think on it really, um, things have come up on a case by case basis, but, Mm -hmm. um, I think just when, um, new people enter our lives, we kind of have a conversation about that, um, and see, see how it feels and kind of gauge it. Um, I wouldn't say we've really labeled anything on a larger like level, if that makes sense. Uh, we do refer to each other as partners, but, Um, Beyond that, like we haven't really dictated like boundaries necessarily for how far other things can go as a like explicit rule that's always Mm -hmm. followed or anything like that. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. I wanted to jump back a little bit. So uh, you had your relationship with the uh, partner that you uh, met when you came back from Berlin and it was there's a little time in there. But Mm -hmm. you said in that in that relationship, it was really your first exposure to a lot of the polyamorous dynamics and I'm assuming things like jealousy and intentional conversations and those types of things. Uh, Do you mind talking a little bit about that journey of how how you navigated some of those, uh, I guess, hopefully like learning experiences, maybe? Yeah, I think one key learning definitely was that jealousy is a manifestation of often something deeper that's actually another feeling altogether um and i do think that's true in most cases um and in this case i think it was you know polyamory gave me the framework to then think okay well i'm feeling this um i'm feeling this emotion towards my partner's partner my metamorph whatnot at that time and really interrogating what the root cause of that is Um, And I think a lot of the time when we think about that, it's really about our own relationship with our partner instead of their other relationship or like having that projected onto another person. So that was really helpful. And now I think when jealousy comes up for me, it doesn't check as like, oh, this is just a natural reaction. And the result of that is um, forbidding someone to do something or just leaning straight into that, but rather like really going deep and being critical about where that's coming from and what about your current setup is causing that. Yeah. That's huge. Right. To try to un- it's reframing jealousy in a lot of right. ways. Right. Yeah. Right. For sure. And how about on hierarchy? Like you, you talked a little bit about that, but like, and how you approach the relationship with your current partner, but like, mm-hmm sort of where do you, how, how do you approach hierarchy um, in within this context? Yeah. So I think just kind of stepping back in, in the principles and, and I guess philosophy of polyamory, I think to me, polyamory is fundamentally about abundance, which is something that I, I took from pleasure activism, another great, great book. Um, basically just the idea that what we have to give emotionally or romantically is not, 
scarce. It's not finite. It's not like you have your pie of love and your pie of kindness. And if you're expending it all on one person, then you don't have enough for other people, but rather that feelings can kind of grow within us when they're extended to more people and that how we relate to others can also feed into our existing relationships and vice versa and how it's all kind of coalescing. Um, so kind of operating on that, I think what's important to me um, for my current, you know, if you want to call it quote primary relationship is that, um, you know, the love that we have for each other is, is strongly rooted in us really seeing each other and connecting on a very deep level. And the only thing that really like fundamentally matters to me is that we nourish that connection and that we you know, work through our, our walls and our barriers to enable the truest feelings that we have towards each other. Besides that, I think, you know, everything is kind of fair game, you know, all spirit and love and war and all of that. So I, I don't think I, I don't have the idea that, you know, if my partner were to start dating someone else um, more consistently, which he hasn't yet, um, that that would necessarily detract from, you know, what's core and important to our relationship. Um, and I think that if I felt like it did, then there would probably be another issue going on. I wanted to ask how open you are in your communities with with your with non-monogamy and your relationship style. Um, yeah, so in my community in the Bay Area, I'm very, very open about it. Um, as I said, I work for Bloom Community, which is, you know, a, an app that's built around non-monogamous and sex positive values and I don't hide that from you know my friends or the people that I engage with Mm -hmm. uh do you as how has exploring your sexuality gone over the last handful of years because it seems Um, like something has been fairly new for you too um, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's it's new and it's not new. My first queer experience, I was like maybe 14, 13, but I didn't like clock it as that until maybe six years after that. But um, yeah, it's it's been honestly, I think, very overlapping with all of these other experiences. So like the kink scene is very um, polycentric and it's very queer as well. Um, and I think the fluidity of that has really helped me navigate all those identities as well. And just also just thinking, um, applying the lens of queer relationships and queer friendships to capital R relationships, I think makes it flow a lot. Um, and it, it just makes a lot of sense, I think for, um, people who've experienced kind of queer attraction and like the ambiguity of like some friendships that um, then turn into other things and that, you know, there's a whole spectrum going on, the whole like spectrum thinking um, Mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, just like how things evolve and change as people evolve and change. I, just for listeners, you've mentioned the R relationship with a capital R a few times. And I'm, could you talk about what that means to you? Because I have a feeling people listening might not always understand that. Right. Yeah. I think that I I mentioned that actually in hopes that it would clarify things a little bit about what what that means. I think um, to me, a relationship with a capital R is some like a more consistent, emotionally intimate connection with someone Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, it can look a variety of different ways, but I think with the last two times that I've kind of defined a relationship, it's been very much the process of, Oh, we've started to hang out a lot more. We started to talk a lot more. It seems like something's going on here. Um, and then at some point we were like, 
this feels like dating. Does this feel like dating to you? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, and then I guess like when that explicitness, um, is, Mm -hmm. is brought out, um, then it becomes like a, a legit relationship or however you want to call it just as, you know, as defined by the people who are in it. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I just wanted for any listeners who heard that term and were like, I don't know what that means. I, I just wanted to right, clarify. Right, right. Yeah, because yeah. I think also within um, a lot of poly circles, we just say relationship to refer to, you know, you have a relationship with your cat, you have a relationship with your mother. And, you know, the capital R is also a di- like a differentiation for something that's a little bit more romantic or like yeah. more, you know, under the monogamous framework, a quote, real relationship um, not that I agree with that, but um, maybe it looks a little bit more like that to onlookers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And and thank you for that explanation. I appreciate it. And yeah. and so, like over the last few years, as you've sort of gone on this journey, you've obviously picked up a whole lot of things, a lot of language, a lot of mm-hmm. approaches, a lot of new ways that you look at relationships and hierarchy and labels and all the different things. How have you sort of taken that what you've learned in the framework of non-monogamy and like applied it outside into like your greater life as a whole? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So I think um, in terms of just having the language of polyamory, it's been really, really helpful to just legitimate almost like a lot of the relationships that I naturally kind of have with people um and just be able to express and navigate them without like the degree of like emotional repression of labels like being able to tell um someone that I'm friends with if I'm attracted to them or being able to kind of check when a friendship or a relationship or even um you know even like the the lowercase r relationships I mentioned before like with your parents or with anyone um how those dynamics change and evolve over time and just having the framework to um, follow those changes and like really register them instead of ignoring them or like trying to be like, Oh, like, well, we are this, therefore we have to blah, blah, blah. But really like following where those connections lead. I think it's also given me um, polyamory. That is the confidence to um, actually like navigate that with new people that I meet as well. So I think, Um, Now, when I meet people, I'm not categorizing them necessarily uh, or putting them in a particular bucket and more just focused on, oh, I really enjoy this person. I want to get to know them and I'm kind of open to Mm -hmm. wherever that goes. And that's also kind of um, how like why I think Bloom community is awesome is because the app itself does not dictate where your connection goes. So when you match with people that you become buds with them, very neutral term um, baseline of friendship. And then you can kind of take that however, in whatever direction you would like. Um, So it's really cool to kind of see that value enshrined in my current work as well. And that kind of, that reinforces how I also um, operate in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess that kind of leads into bloom a little bit. Uh, and what made you interested in working for Bloom in the first place? And, and also, before you jump into that, do you mind talking to, like, for anyone who didn't listen to Luna's episode, right? Yeah. What what is Bloom? What is Bloom Community? And, like, what does that look like? And then, yeah, to Thomas' point, like, what, what drew you in there? Yeah, of course. Well, definitely recommend Luna's episode. Luna is the founder of Bloom, so she probably articulated this um, better. But um, Bloom is essentially a sex-positive and poly-centric 
dating and social community and app um, or a community that has an app or something like that, um, where you can go on there and have a profile and meet other folks who share the values of consent, communication and respect, which are our community values, um, and also see events from event producers um, who we also we partner with and who also share these values. And then in within those events, you can also see who else is going to the event and match and chat with them, and then also engage with the group chat there and kind of build build community from there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for the overview. And, and have been checking it out ourselves and yeah we've got some of our virtual events on there and yeah, we're moving awesome. some of our in-person ones on there as well as as makes sense but what what drew you to work there yeah so um that is also a good question i um my background is kind of in social theory and social sector work. Um, I am still early on in my career, but I've had a number of kind of work and internship experiences all in the public sector, kind of trying to answer the question of like, how do we change the world? Like to be, you know, the most basic cliche way of putting that, um, like what are some ways we can enact positive social change? And I think like being in policy and nonprofit spaces has been both illuminating and frustrating for me because it seems like a lot of the decisions that we need to make in order to change things are operating at a level that most people can't touch. So then that kind of brought me to a more community-based way of seeing things um, and really just asking, okay, what can we actually do right now to create the culture that we want to see and kind of model that change um, within, you know, just the people that we already know. And so with that kind of new mindset, I was looking at the communities around me that I've found, um, you know, lots of liberatory experiences in, um, and seeing how I can contribute to that. And really just thinking that, um, the more we can embody consent culture, um, on that scale, the more we can spread that to broader society as well. And then the happier and freer people will be overall. Cause I really do think that sex positive values like affirmative consent is just a huge part of how people should be respecting and treating each other in all sorts of contexts. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to be kind of part of that and see um, all the different people in the landscape of like working on creating that. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's, it's, be- it's, I don't know, I'm really excited about the app and the work that you're doing. Awesome. Uh, and I, sh- I shouldn't just call it an app. It's a community. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think there's so much potential there. And uh, so thank you for doing the work that you're doing as well. Um, yeah. Well, I just wanted to say too, like, I think, I think like it's an, it's an interesting approach, right? Like if you're in the public sector, maybe you're working on, I don't know, uh, lit- um, laws or bills, right? Perhaps mm-hmm. you, you want to go in and be a lawmaker, right? And you're going to change how we approach all of this. But like a good example is, right, like cannabis, right? Like it's it's becoming to almost so widely used that it's almost foolish for it not to be legalized or decriminalized mm-hmm. at like a federal level. But like it has taken a long time of the social norms around it changing. And I think the the work at at Bloom is like, well, we might not be able to go in and change it. So your primary partner and your husband one, husband two, and husband three all have the same visitation rights if you're in the hospital. But if we can start from the ground up and like, let's change what the social norms are and show Mm -hmm. how prominent this is, 
then like it's it's really where it starts like that's where that long-term change starts is just by like creating the new norm around it and, and increasing the visibility. So I think right, that's one of the right. things we love about that approach. So I appreciate Thank you. Yeah, well. no, yeah. actually we're, we were having just like a, a team retreat today. So this is all in my mind. And what, what one of my colleagues said that I really resonated with was like, you know, even if you're not non-monogamous or polyamorous or like interested in that for yourself, like everyone can benefit from learning the possibilities of existence. Um, and just knowing that, you know, how you are living now is not the only way that you can live. And that's also why, you know, people love meeting new people. People love traveling. People love like new experiences. And I think all that is to just kind of deepen our understanding of what's possible in this world and just understand like the way that we interact with each other as a society, it's not inherent. There are like spaces that exist where all this is kind of flipped upside down and if you're more comfortable there then please come join us like we love you and if you don't want to that's fine too (laughs) right yeah that's such a good point thank you for making that because it's it's not that hey this is for everyone out there everywhere and we need to make everyone non-monogamous and it but it's it's providing the opportunity for education and for, right. that, Hey, this exists. This is out there. These are people, these are options that you can yeah. in challenging those social norms. Yeah. And I think honestly, consent education is so important. Can't overstate that. Oh, totally. Yeah. And that was one of those, I was going to say when you were listing off like, Oh, well, people can benefit from all these different aspects. Like, yeah. I mean, just breaking it down all the way to like consent, sexual health and safety, basic communication like those are going to serve you in pretty much any relationship you have Mm -hmm. from your family to your your career uh maybe maybe on some different levels but like yeah like the the ability to like have clear communication nonviolent communication all the different right yeah things that get brought up like they're so valuable across the board that it's it's just they're almost impossible to navigate these types of relationships without them. Whereas you can muddle by for a long time out in a a monogamous relationship without necessarily figuring out how to talk about STIs and sexual health, because it's really not a problem um, if it's just you and one other person. Right. Yeah. And I I do think that, you know, I I am friends with a number of um, monogamous couples who I think you know, even though their practice of their relationship is quote monogamous, I, I don't think that it's necessarily the same as like the, the, the social concept of monogamy, because I do see it as like, they've made an intentional decision here. Um, yeah. And I don't know, my take is like, you know, if everyone in the world had perfect information, some people would still be monogamous, but it would be a lot less than there are now. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's not to say that it's that like, yeah, like I think we said, like, it's not like we're better and more evolved, but like, yeah, there are some serious skills you have to hone to right. or make even, this Yeah. Work. Like just the conversation of like expectations and mm-hmm. just putting things on the table in your relationship and really like, like thinking about the root causes of things. And, you know, maybe some people really do tie romantic connection with exclusivity but a lot of people don't and just really like thinking okay well what do i tie it to then like what does it what matters to me and then forming your relationships based on you know your own truths as Mm -hmm. a person yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I appreciate all of that. Super awesome. I, your work retreats sound awesome. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it was really fun just hearing how everyone came to bloom. Yeah. yeah. And links to everything will be in the show notes as well or in your podcast player. So you can go check out Bloom. Um, I had another question for you too. Sure. Where do you see, this, this is a hard one, but where do you see your path going in the future with, with relationships with non-monogamy? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I honestly am not the most future oriented person. Um, just in general. Um, I think in my last job interview for the job I had before this one, um, the executive director of the organization asked me like what my goals were. And I was like, actually don't believe in goals. And I had like this whole like (laughs) rant about that. Um, but I really do think like I'm taking things kind of one step at a time. Um, what I do think, um, helps me with that approach in the relationships that I have now is just, trusting the connection itself as something that will ground and take it where it needs to go for, for all parties involved. Um, like I can't promise anyone where I'm going to live in five years. I can't promise anyone how exactly I'm going to want to relate to them. And I think in the more normative dating structures that freaks people out, they would be like, Oh, you have commitment issues. Like you're not able to like blah, 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 blah. But what I can do is say like, I will always care about you and we will always be in each other's lives. Um, and exactly like how that happens, uh, we will, we'll kind of have to see what the circumstances are. Um, but just trusting that that's kind of enough is how I'm able to kind of navigate the ambiguity of the future, um, with, you know, the people that I'm dating, my friends, um, the idea that I do want to live in different places and that a lot of the people around me do as well. So I think having non-monogamy ground, um, the fluidity of connections in a, in a life that is, you know, always changing brings me a lot of comfort and stability in a, in a kind of roundabout way. (laughs) Well, and I think it's one thing that just like, it's pretty awesome about it is it's, it's a much more authentic, right. For you, right. Like, cause it would have been really mm-hmm. easy to, to be in that interview. And when that question came up, be like, well, here's what I really think. And here's what <laughs> I know the person wants to hear. I'll just yeah. tell them what they want to hear. And you were like, no, I'm going to tell them what it is. And it sounds like you probably didn't end up with that job cause you're working at bloom, but like you wound mm-hmm. up, you wound up where you're a better fit for yourself and for the organization. Cause you'd have probably shown up there and been like, yeah, this, like I, kind of bluffed my way through that question (laughs) and now you're hiding it the whole time you're there like that's not fun yeah I think yeah authenticity is is a big piece of it and I do think that a lot of the times labels do kind of get in the way of that um and so I try to only use them in a way that feels authentic to me and at, at least like right now I don't really see myself in a monogamous situation um I also don't really have desires of like buying a house or like having kids or like, you know, having that kind of life. Um, but I also am not so I'm not like vehemently opposed to each of those things on their own. It's more of like the overall vision. Right. And so I used to be like, I hate marriage. I like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, but now I'd say I feel like very neutrally about it. Um, as in, it just doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> um, and if there's a good reason to do it, there's a good reason to do it. And if not, then there isn't. And that's basically it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
middle path as as they call it in buddhism <laughs> yes right? yeah yeah well thank you for that and i can understand not wanting to try to buy a house in the bay area at least not <laughs> not quite yeah yet. that one i think is more of a practice i mean i can say like oh i don't want to buy a house but like the realities are also <laughs> constraining <laughs> over there right if you do you know have a commune with everyone in your polycule and go into a property together or just like buy some land somewhere. My partner, and I talk about this all the time. Um, you know, that would be amazing. And there are also financial reasons to be polyamorous. Yeah. For oh, sure. Yes. Age. For, sure. <laughs> for sure. I do feel it's fair to be, if you live in the Barry to be like, no, I don't even want a stupid house to not be like, well, I could never afford a house in a million years anyways. So you can just play it as I don't even want it. I don't even want it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's convenient as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I appreciate that. We appreciate everything you shared. Emma, do you have any other questions? I, I was simply going to ask, is there anything else that you wanted to get out there? And I'm sure that's what Finn was going to say too. Yeah, but you got to do it. This <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. I think just sharing a little bit more about um, consent as a core value of Bloom community. Um, Cause we did talk, we talked a lot about consent education and how important it is. I think for me, it's really exciting and valuable to see the values of consent kind of built into um, both the company culture and the software itself. Um, So we're always kind of holding everyone accountable to these standards, um, practicing affirmative consent, asking before escalating intimacy, actively listening, um, only acting on a clear and enthusiastic yes with an exclamation point or a fuck yes. Um, And I can just kind of see how like I'm not working on the technical side, but I do see like both as a user um, and as a a coworker of the engineering side that, you know, we have our mutual opt-in budding and chatting. We have extensive community standards and a reporting policy. um, And we do kind of partner with events. The part that I do work on more closely um, event producers that share our values so that, you know, members can be confident that they will be safe there. And as we kind of expand to more cities and to more kind of segments of events, uh, we hope that kind of the, the consent message remains first and foremost, and also as something that really could benefit everyone beyond even just the the existing sex positive communities around mm-hmm. the world. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. And so it's such important work. And yeah, putting the consent first is yeah. Thank you. I don't have a lot more to say other than thank you. It's, I appreciate you adding that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if, and if there is not anything else pressing, we can let you get along with your afternoon. We will go make some dinner and we will say you're always welcome back on the, on the show. And, and we're excited to get the word out about bloom and continue to help grow that community. Awesome. Yeah, we're really excited, too, to have a couple of your um, virtual meet and greets in our system and hopefully some in-person ones, too, in the future as we continue to, to grow together. Yes. That's the plan. We're excited. Yeah. Awesome. We're excited as well. So thank you again for coming on and sharing your story and for everything you've shared. Yeah. And have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you. You too. Thanks. And we're back. A huge thank you to Francisca for coming on the show and sharing your story and being vulnerable with us. We really appreciate it and we're excited to get this out there. And thank you also for all of the work that you do over at Bloom. Yeah, huge, huge thank you for that. And we're excited to continue seeing what you're building and and help where we can. 
A quick reminder that we have virtual events, in-person events, all on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community events tab and you can find all of the information there. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find information about our Patreon community on our website, as well as podcast show notes and contacting us all available on our website. If you would like to come on the show or if you have any questions, have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, send us a voicemail. And one other thing you can do while you're on our website, check out the resources tab. This is where Emma and I put all the things that we love and use uh, to help make our lives better. And one of our favorites is how we get tested for STIs, which is a service called stdcheck.com. You've probably heard us talk about it before, but that's because we love it and we use it and it's amazing. It's affordable. It's easy. It's simple. Simple and easy. All of those you things. Can't, you can't beat it. So yeah, check it out. It is about $130 for a 10 panel test. And if you use the links on our show notes, you save $10 and you help support the show financially. So you get a huge virtual hug from us. Uh, as you feel the blood needle go in, that's actually us hugging your arm to say thank you. <laughs> Sure. What do you think? Go for it. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is that all? You got it? Well, yeah, you just head over to the website. <laughs> you click on the resources tab or in the podcast show notes and then use the links there. Super easy to find and it's super simple to do. So yeah. there's go no check it reason out. not to do it. Yeah. Uh, this coming Friday, we actually have our last uh, part three of the Enneagram episodes that we've been doing with Kelsia. This is a Focus Friday episode. Um, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we're bringing back Focus Fridays occasionally, and this is the three-part Enneagram episode. So go check it out. We loved the conversations that we had with Kelsia. We're super excited about getting them out there. Um, it's definitely different from our uh, normally scheduled program, I would say, uh, but we are super excited anyway. Uh, next week, we also have a Wednesday interview with Rachel. Yeah, it's a fantastic conversation, uh, incredibly vulnerable. And she talks about a book she wrote, uh, which is uh, an amazing sort of chronicle of the first few years of her opening up her relationships and what that's looked like. And so she talks about what that looked like for her and and actually, I think, beyond what the book covers. So we're super excited for that. Uh, definitely come back next week. You will not regret it. And we will see you then. Yes. I think that's it. That's it. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.